Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing well. Thank right. you. Thank you. All right. I want to start off today talking about a very, very famous person, yeah. a very, very successful, I think. <laughs> At least he has a lot of money, yeah. if that's your measurement of success. But he, uh, he I'll give him, uh, give him uh, credit for that because he probably is. He b builds cars, but I'm not sure I even like the cars, so I, I don't know what's <laughs> going on there. But that's Elon Musk. But uh, right now, he is stepping out into the world. Now, maybe he wants to be president. Who, who knows? But uh, he, he made some suggestions this weekend about, uh, about what they should do uh, in, in Ukraine. Yeah. Because he said a lot of things that, quite frankly, I have said before. Why, why don't they just, you know, quit killing each other and talk to each other and even poke fun in a campaign that we have a lot of diplomats. Why don't we use them? Yeah. And he wants to be a diplomat, and he came out. He has one shortcoming, though, I think, in this is uh, everything he said recently, Niall, about diplom diplomacy doesn't always fit into his positions in the past. But that's, I think, secondary to what happened. Because given the benefit of the doubt, which it very well could be true, that he truly is a man of peace and he sees something happen and he made a statement. You know, this is the way it's going to end anyway. Most wars end this way. And uh, it just just have have an agreement, quit shooting each other and make a deal and, or, and, and do some compromising on both sides. Everybody else stay out and, and made these suggestions. And uh, I was glad that he was saying a little bit of talking yeah. before you started talking about it's a lot better than talking about nuclear weapons, you know. So this I thought was good, but he, he didn't, didn't, uh, didn't work well with uh, some of the people who think they are the professional diplomats. And, uh, <laughs> and so they came down very hard on yeah. him. And, uh, but he didn't, he didn't back away. He still, he still believes and he talked about, uh, you know, how many people have to die. And I remember when they were working up to the war in uh, Ukraine or, or in Iraq, we had a we had somebody visiting on the screen. I can't remember his name, but uh, he he was very important about getting us into this war. And the and he was gun ho. And I, the question I ask him is, how many how many Americans have to be killed before you'll change your tune? Because we were just still talking about Vietnam, you yeah. know. And uh, of course, he wouldn't answer that. But that, that's in a way what uh, what Musk is doing. Americans are going to die. Others are going to die, and it's going to end in a mess. How many? How many have to die yeah. before you change? Uh, it's too bad they that guy that I was interviewing didn't answer the question or move in that direction, and and the same way whether it was it's Iraq or Syria or uh, Afghanistan, how many people have to die before that? So that's an important question that he asked, uh, but all he got was flack. Yeah. I think that was Richard Pearl, if I Pearl, remember. that's it. <coughs> I remember that he testified on, on uh, video. Yeah. And he was so arrogant, he refused to even lower himself to address <laughs> you. Yeah, that's <coughs> The same neocons are in charge now. Well, let's take a look. As this was a firestorm, and it happened last night when, when uh, Elon Musk, who's a gadfly, no <coughs> question about it, put out a seemingly innocent tweet. He said, Ukraine, Russia, peace. And there are several components. One. Redo the elections of annexed regions under UN supervision. 
Russia leaves if that's the will of the people. Two, Crimea formerly part of Russia as it has been since 1783 until Khrushchev's mistake. Three, water supplied to Crimea assured. Four, Ukraine <coughs> remains neutral. Uh, and then he clarified this tweet, if we can do the next one, by simply pointing out, this is highly likely to be the outcome in the end. It's just a question of how many die before then, as you said, Dr. Paul. And then he said, it's also worth noting that a possible, albeit unlikely, outcome from this conflict is nuclear war. To this proposal, the Ukrainian ambassador to Germany replied, put this next one on if you can, please. And I blanked out part of this word because <laughs> this is a family program. But this is an ambassador. Put up that next one if you can, please. This is an ambassador, Ukrainian ambassador to Germany. Blank off is my very diplomatic reply to you, Elon Musk. Uh, so that is interesting that, the, that this was, uh, that was the reply. This guy gets into a lot of trouble, but that's the reaction. Anyone who goes against this narrative gets this kind of result. And uh, Musk, not directly back to the ambassador, but back to Gary Kasparov, who's a Russian uh, dissident, uh, who also complained very bitterly about this, about this proposal, uh, accusing Elon of being pro-Russia. And Elon uh, responded with this. If we can put the next one up, please. He said, hey, we gave Starlink to Ukraine <coughs> and lost $80 million in doing so while putting SpaceX and myself at serious risk of Russian cyber attack. So this is the thing that Elon has been known, in fact, criticized as being pro-Ukrainian on this. He gave them the Starlinks, which enables them to communicate uh, and, and, uh, and really coordinate their military response, that's pretty important. Uh, but he gets no credit for giving them all this equipment and technology because simply suggesting a starting point where peace negotiations can begin is enough to have diplomats from Ukraine telling him to blank off. You know, during the debates when this subject came up and I had a suggestion, I, I had a response too. I, there were a few boos in the audience from an audience I didn't expect it from. You know, it yeah. was a Christian audience and just a suggestion of peace would stir them up. I, there, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with me and pointing out why uh, they think I'm wrong on it. But to be so annoyed, uh, I, I, I sort of you know, wonder why that stirs them up. It must be a little bit of guilt involved because basically somebody uh, that's doing a proposal in a way on this proposal, he's trying to prevent needless deaths and moving on toward nuclear war. And then he gets all, all this grief. But uh, when you think about the people who are the noisiest, uh, you, you know, that, they're the ones who... Uh, uh, are, are saying saying the most about it, but you know, uh, and, and this has not been well received. That whole mess there—it's uh, not even well well received by the Russian soldiers. They're not anxious to continue with this. They might say, you know, this have have diplomacy. And I often wondered about that in uh, in the debates about well, why why should this be so unpopular, and then be accused of 
you don't care about the troops. Uh, no. you, you know, but the, the, the whole thing is, is uh, the, the troops care about themselves and maybe maybe not having diplomacy is not very healthy for our troops. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's, he's pointing out here. This is not a healthy thing not to talk about it. And uh, if Khrushchev and Kennedy could talk, I would think anybody could talk. Yeah. Well, the, breaking down <coughs> the proposal that, that Elon Musk had, and Jordan Schachtel does a great job. He just has a new piece on his substack. The three most important ones, and he goes into some detail. First of all, the Crimean issue. Crimea is extremely unlikely to go back to Ukraine. They did have a vote. Even U.S. government polls um, uh, showed, U.S. Agency for Global Media, they showed that the pro-Russia side in Crimea was overwhelming. It was 97% voted in favor of returning. That is, that is a moot point. Ukraine, uh, Ukraine is not going to get Crimea back, so that's off the table. The second point, which is to redo the referendum with the UN involved. Um, now, Jordan makes the point that this will irritate both sides. This isn't a gimme to, you, to, uh, to Russia, because Russia b believes they already had a decent referendum. Why should we have another one? The people have spoken. They want to join. Why would we redo it? So that's not really, uh, you know, something that would automatically benefit Russia. It would just bring in the UN, and you and I, of course, believe that that gives it less legitimacy, uh, just, you know, in, in partially because these groups are so infiltrated with U.S. intelligence. But the other one, the other contentious one, is proposing that Ukraine ma remain neutral, not join a Russian military bloc or a NATO military bloc, which is already going to happen anyway. You know, it's not going to join the, the Russian bloc. Ukraine is not. And it's not going to get into NATO. You know, right when, when they were uh, signing the accession of those four provinces into Russia, um, Zelensky wrote his own little memorandum saying, <laughs> we want to have uh, an application to get in NATO right away, please. And both Stoltenberg, the NATO chief, and uh, Sullivan, the U.S. national security advisor, said, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. So it's not going to happen. So when you really break this down to its components, there's nothing that far out of what's inevitable, as he said himself. But the response uh, in the thousands says a lot about anyone who right. dares break any part of the narrative. Yes, and, and you know, this idea of the United Nations, part of the reasons, or a major uh, reason why the mess is there is because of those people fighting for global control, globalism. And we're doing pretty well in that ever since World War II. <clears throat> but we're running into some problems. And, uh, you know, NATO is not exactly completely separate from the United Nations. It's a globalist approach. So that's why I can't get excited, even though I'm always looking for an opening for some negotiations. And maybe that would be slightly better than something else because we've uh, sort of supported treaties once they've been established to, to uh, not uh, get rid of them for the sake, uh, for, for, the, for various reasons. But uh, if, if the real problem is too much globalism, uh, it's hard for me to believe that uh, all of a sudden the United Nations are going to gain great wisdom. And already, you, they, they, both sides, were, yeah, I think you mentioned that both sides they disagreed with that. Yeah, they neither of them. So, uh, unless they have the control of it. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, his fatalism about this is, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's going to end up that way. You know, he's suggesting, why don't you, why don't you do it just now and not wait to kill all these people? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, after this brouhaha came, Zelensky himself, the president of Ukraine, who one would think is a little bit busy managing a war, he got onto Twitter and he had his own response. And we can put this up. He put up a poll 
This is absurd. Vladimir Zelensky put up a poll. Which Elon Musk do you like more? The one who supports Ukraine or one who supports Russia? To which Musk replied, very truthfully, if we can put this next one up, he said, I still very much support Ukraine, but I'm convinced that massive escalation of the war will cause great harm to Ukraine and possibly the world. So, so what happens? The presidential advisor, top advisor to President Zelensky, tweets out this next picture, if we can put it up. Arestovich. He said, we work promptly. They, they did a Photoshop and grafted Elon Musk's head onto a ca- former captured uh, political leader in Ukraine who the Ukrainians arrested and tortured. So this is le- literally a threat to Musk. It said, we work promptly, meaning, obviously, that you're going to be arrested by Ukraine for daring to say that. And I think a lot of people have tweeted, this may be a wake-up call to idealists like Musk who believe that they're on the side, <laughs> uh, the good side here. <laughs> and and here's, another, here's another, I think, punctuation mark. Uh, and I saw this on Anti-War. We didn't talk about it before the show, but I just wanted to put it up really quickly because this also shows the unbelievable arrogance. And this is why I think, Dr. Paul, that the American public is starting to sour. Ukraine tells EU that delays in delivering billions in aid are not acceptable. This is antiwar.com. Ukraine told the European Union on Monday that the EU needs to increase the pace at at which it provides billions of euros in promised aid. Kiev has become incredibly reliant on Western aid to fund its government, but Ukrainian officials seem to have little patience when it comes to the timeline of deliveries. A Ukrainian official told Political that delays were, quote, not acceptable. You know, it, it still it still bothers me a whole lot because um, there's so much politicking going on and propagandizing. Uh, there's nationalism goes on and uh, patriotism enters into it. But when it boils down, uh, and, and I, I mentioned a minute ago that now even the Russian troops, you know, when they drafted 87,000 more people and uh, putting more people in there, they're not exactly happy with that. And even though, uh, you know, you, you hear from Zelensky representing the people, I, I just think there's a lot of people who, don't, who, if they weren't so frightened about it all, could speak out because it, they have to agree with a lot of what he said and that their lives are at risk. And uh, I don't know whether they've, uh, they really see that there's a propaganda war going on. A little victory here, a little victory here, but big announcements here. And uh, is this a true uh, reversal? Will the Russian troops be leaving, leaving Ukraine and go on home because of the victory they, the, that they have talking about? You know, it, uh, it's, I, I just think that uh, it's a shame that the, uh, they get the upper hand on the propaganda. Uh, and if peace broke out, I know there'd be some unhappy people. Uh, just remember yesterday we did a program on who, whose opportunity was all this about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the most disgusting part, Dr. Paul, is this all could have stopped in April. You remember the Ankara talks? Uh, they were going to get the Ukrainian side and the Russian side together. They were going to make a deal. It probably was going to result in more autonomy or even independence for the Donbass region. But it would have ended the war right there. And, and the Ukrainian side, according to reports, were ready to talk about this. And what happens? Boris Johnson flies in and tells Zelensky, 
if you dare even talk about a deal, we're going to cut off every penny of your aid. So that's how we got down this road. So at every step, the U.S. and its little poodle, the U.K., have wanted to escalate because the real goal of this whole operation is regime change for Russia. We've known it for years and years, back before 2014. They can't let go of this idea, even if they kill the last Ukrainian. <laughs> so, well, let's move on because we want to just uh, quickly talk about this interesting point. This is um, former Pentagon advisor says U.S. likely attacked Nord Stream pipelines to isolate Germany. And we're talking about Colonel Doug McGregor, who just spoke at our RPI conference in Washington, D.C. He was a senior advisor to the acting Secretary of Defense under uh, Trump in Trump's last few days. Uh, and he's been very vocal about this. He's, he obviously has a lot of military experience. And here's what he says. You have to look at who are the state actors that have the capability to do this. And that means the UK's Royal Navy and the United States Navy. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, so he makes a strong point that Russia wouldn't have done it because they rely on these pipelines for a huge part of their, uh, of their GDP. Uh, so the idea that they would blow them up makes no sense. Uh, and uh, it's just a very, very strong determined point. Somebody did this and the fingers are pointing in one direction. Well, Doug also mentioned that one of the goals was to keep uh, Germany in, yeah. in the fight, you know, and uh, not, not disassociating with them. And, and somebody, they had to hate somebody and get them back involved. But the, uh, right, right now, it, uh, it is a major event. The other day when it, this first broke, uh, both you and I talked about, you know, the great danger that exists. So far, there's been talk, but uh, you just wonder how long. It's hard for me to believe that it will go unpunished, you know, this bombing, and that there will be a retaliation, uh, and, and which would be equivalent to an escalation. Whether that happens or not, I sort of, you know, hope it doesn't, because that tit for tat just doesn't solve any problem at all. But, uh, that's, but that's usually the way it works, you know, that somebody has, has to get punished. I keep thinking about how we punished everybody after 9-11. Yeah. The wrong people. The wrong people. It killed a lot of them, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're right, and that's an important point. Well, why would they do this? Why would the U.S. and U.K.? And he also mentioned that the Poles seemed very enthusiastic about blowing up this pipeline as well. And it is, according to uh, his analysis, to McGregor's analysis, it is to prevent Germany from getting cold feet. And he says this, I'm hesitant to say we know it must have been Washington. I can't say that because we just don't know. But it's very clear that we have foreclosed Berlin's options. Berlin was drifting away from this alliance. And this is important, I think. Chancellor Olaf Scholz says, I'm not sending any more equipment. I won't send any tanks. Now he's in a bind because the U.S. <clears throat> has simply robbed him of the options of bailing out. Who's going to supply him coal and gas and oil and everything else if he bails out? Where does he turn? And remember the Germans who are facing terrible consequences at home refuse to restart nuclear power plants. So there, are, there is an indication that the Germans were starting to talk with Russia a little bit about how, how, let's find a way out of this because they see what they're facing. And now there's no, po there's no possibility. It's blown up. You know, when McGregor mentioned 
that uh, <coughs> the two countries that most likely are capable of doing it or are capable of doing it and most likely did it, and that's the U.S. and U.K. because of the technology that they have. And I, I got to thinking, you know what that reminds me of? <coughs> it's 1953. <laughs> Remember, it was the British and Americans that did the coup against Iran. Yeah, yeah. And look, look along that, that process lasted, mainly because... Uh, you know, the mess up even in recent years where uh, this on-again, off-again diplomacy, uh, you know, exists, but it, it never goes very far. And, and uh, then there's the struggle between uh, the bigger forces like Russia and yeah. the United States gets involved, too. Well, let's switch gears a little bit, Dr. Paul, to our last segment. And this is uh, talking about uh, racism, uh, which is uh, a bad thing, we agree. But this is the San Francisco Department of Public Health's tweet. As part of our efforts to make the monkeypox vaccine available to those who need it, the San Francisco Health Department will be partnering with the San Francisco Leather District, I don't know what that is, to give monkeypox vaccines to eligible attendees today. See about the eligibility details below. Uh, and if we go to that next one, <coughs> uh, these are the details, Dr. Paul. Uh, the people, the only people who are eligible to get these vaccines, according to the San Francisco Department of Public Health, are black, Latin, indigenous, person of color, gay, bisexual, transgender, or current sex worker, all genders and uh, orientations of those types are allowed. So the only people that can get these shots are people that fall into certain categories including color of skin yeah they, they don't mention white but they didn't get they didn't make the list you know that sort of thing and <clears throat> somebody was posing this question hypothetically <clears throat> if a 70 year old <clears throat> straight male white man with a pre-existing health condition were to show up for uh, at the south you know the market clinic according to the department he, what would happen? He would be turned away. Wow. This is this is on the Hard monkey. This is on the monkeypox uh, vaccine that they're talking about. Wow, that's and and, and you take something that uh, would be non-existence in the news and make a big deal of this. It's almost like <clears throat> they're they're going out of their way to restore uh, you know hatred by racism, and, uh, and this is uh, this is uh, it's again totally useless to use racism to fight racism you know that uh, makes no sense to continue to do the same thing over and over again so somebody once one time said that's the definition of insanity and sometimes our policies do look a bit insane on whether they're economic policies or or foreign policy but uh, this uh, this this can't Go. I, I, this just can't exist. This can't be followed through, it, or we're much further along than than I ever dreamed we were. But uh, because it, it, even there, even a, a, a progressive who has who, who has lost his her his or her way uh, still would have to say, you know, this is over the top. You know, this is so blatant because. Uh, you know, I say, you know what, we better be a little careful. There might be more white people than black people, you know, this sort of thing. And it just builds it. But uh, it, it, uh, it, it's that they, they don't see things 
you know, they talk about diversity and all these things, and they don't realize <clears throat> that the libertarian position, whether it's racism or equity or whatever, uh, the only way you, you do that is it think of individualism. Yeah. That's how you want diverse people. You don't you don't get a collection of people here, here, here. I always uh, I'm always annoyed, even though I understand the politics of it. And they'll take a block of people, and there'll be election night. Well, how did the Hispanics vote? How did the Mexicans? How did you know everybody? How did the white people vote? Yeah. And uh, it really this day because there's more integration. Uh, just how do, how do they know how how, how they vote? Because uh, you know it's a secret ballot, don't we? <laughs> Should be, yeah. <laughs> so it's a shame. Well, it's also you know the Kamala Harris, our illustrious vice president, gunned to trouble for suggesting that uh, hurricane relief should be doled out according to equity. Those people that are in uh, ethnic minorities should get it first, and she had to backtrack that. Um, so I guess we're about done, Dr. Paul. If we uh, close it out, I'm going to just uh, again remind our viewers because we've got a lot of people joining Ron Paul on Locals. The Locals is a counterpart to Rumble. It's the Rumble Club. We can put it that way, I guess. Um, and we're going to start doing things like live Q and A's with our with our Locals members. <laughs> and things like that, but we got to get a <coughs> critical mass here because we don't want to have questions and then be sitting there twiddling our thumbs. So join for free. We have some paid members, and those people will also get special benefits uh, as well. So go join the Ron Paul community on Locals. And finally, <coughs> again, get your tickets for the Ron Paul Institute's War on Speech Conference, Shut Up, Cancel Culture, and the War on Speech Again, we have Del Bigtree. Uh, we have uh, Jeff Dice from the Mises Institute. We have got uh, just a, a great lineup. It's going to be a great time. So get those. It's just a little bit, uh, almost about a month from today. So pretty exciting. Very good. I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to close up by making another comment about this uh, episode in San Francisco. Uh, because the headline that I, th I believe you read, it says, No free health care for straight white people. And the word here uh, is such a deceitful way of doing it. It's, it's free, and so therefore you have to be equitable. You know, everybody, uh, you know, has to get their fair share. Uh, but it also means that it's government. And, you know, most of these problems that you run into uh, are government created because they have, they make all the rules, you know, about these uh, spe special uh, 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 groups of people and design and government will allow them and not allow them. They get into too much uh, management of the, the whole system. Schools are this way too. Schools, when when, uh, when you have a private school, uh, you don't have problems like this. But when you have the government school, there is a need to try to you know make sure that uh, a minority isn't punished. But they end up. Making it worse is what they do. They they think that to compensate for it, you have to have have a, have a uh, special special right instead of just saying if you're denied a right, uh, they don't say well this uh, you know make sure they have their right to do what they want. But no, they come in and they want to mess around with the other side and say well we'll take a right away from you. But it's it's this whole idea 
that government bureaucrats and politicians and money and, and special interests uh, can get inv involved in this. And there, there's really nothing fair about this whatsoever. Uh, so uh, the answer is so easily found if people would decide that individualism is far superior to collectivism. And we are, uh, as our country has gotten poorer, and there's more aggressive uh, activity amongst us that people want to demand and, uh, and get their special favors. That's because we're getting poorer and poorer and civil liberties become less and less important. And uh, all you have to do is look at COVID. I mean, there are people who have ulterior motives. They did because that's what they like to do is uh, make sure there's chaos in the streets because they have a better idea how to organize society. So they, 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 they do this, but uh, it never, it never solves the problem. I think you still have to, you don't have uh, uh, rights because you belong to a group and you shouldn't lose rights because you belong to a group. Rights come to individuals, and it comes to us in a natural way. It doesn't come from our government, and the government is there is, is do, to, to try to do their best in trying to make sure that uh, one person's rights aren't abused by somebody else. But collectivism is, is the real evil of what goes on in, in our society, and that, <clears throat> those are the seeds that are planted for whether it's fascism, corporatism, uh, uh, communism, all kinds of socialism. It's authoritarianism, and then that becomes very aggressive and, and very destructive to wealth and usually leads to uh, chaos. And I think that's what this country is leading into now is a lot of problems because the, uh, the, 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 the wealth is dwindling and each group is becoming more aggressive demanding their fair share. But we have to do our best. The solution is not complex. We just more, need more liberty. We need to make the emphasis not on collectivism and how, how who has the best lobbyists in Washington. We have to say that we want to grant liberty to the individual and put the responsibility on the individual and make the government very, very small. And that is the reason that we have a program called the you know Peace and Prosperity, because the only way you can grant peace and prosperity to the maximum number of people would be to have a free society. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.